Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. I just want to spend one moment quickly just encouraging the ones who are paying a cost to put themselves in an environment of faith. Maybe it's the single mum here tonight who's brought their kids. Maybe it's the person who's at university at the moment, writing solo. Maybe it's even you in your workplace environment, the only Christian in that place and you sometimes cop a bit of flack or a bit of a hard time for making a stand as a Christian. But I really want to encourage you right now that you are making a stand that you are declaring, even in that cost and even in that environment, that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. And I want you to speak over that environment. No, this is my environment of faith. This is where I make my stand. This is where, no, I do not surrender. No, I do not back down. And you don't put up, you don't put up sometimes with the, the crap but you say no this is my environment of faith this is where God you have called me and even though I sometimes I feel like I have to walk it by myself that sometimes I have to stand and make that decision for myself it is worth it it is worth it I remember being in London and having to catch the train an hour or an hour and a half just to get to church on a Sunday and I do that often by myself but I was positioning myself in an environment of faith And even for the ones that have just come tonight by yourself into this church, maybe you walked in and you felt, wow, I I don't know who I'm going to sit with tonight. I don't know where my people are yet, but I'm just trying this church out. And can I encourage you, this is your environment of faith right now. Keep coming, keep sowing, keep believing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. You can be all be seated. Lockie, what instrument are we going to find you on next week, bro? Bass, drums, keys, worship leading. Yes. Let's sign him up. Sign him up. You amaze me, Lockie. Well done, brother. I get envious of your musical talent and ability. (laughs) Um, Hey, I'm not sure if you're aware yet, but our DA for our multi-purpose centre was just approved in these last couple of days. And if you're quite new to our church, you'll understand that we have been on a little bit of a journey to build a new auditorium for our kids, a new centre for our community that we can make use of. And how amazing that the favour that we have with community, our DA has already been approved in such a short time. DAs take years. If you're in the construction industry, you would know all about that. DAs often take a long time. Even for this new building here, there was a rumour going around that this was going to take for the DA approval 10 years. That was the rumour that was going around when we first started looking into building this auditorium. And so how amazing though that it didn't take 10 years. I can't even remember how long it took for our DA to come through. It might have been two, three, three years. But... How amazing they're already approved for that multi-purpose centre. How good's that? 
Let's give Jesus a shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Now, is it me? Is it just me? Or does it seem like this whole world has just become more stressed these past few years? Maybe it's just me. I'm not sure, but it's not just me, I believe. The amount of times this year I have been flipped off in the car for doing a driving manoeuvre that I thought was okay and that I thought was legally all right. I've been flipped a finger and they weren't pointing to heaven with this finger. They weren't showing me that there's one, one true God. It wasn't that. It was, had another meaning behind it. Isn't it funny actually that the same uh, emotion that makes me enjoy preaching makes, is the same emotion that makes me a crazy driver as well? Is that, is, that's a bit weird. But anyway... I have had that happen a number of times this year. Even the other day when I was coming home from work, I was on the Hunter Expressway. I had one car in front of me, one car behind me, and I was boxed in with another car on the overtaking lane. And this guy comes down under this entryway ramp, and I see him looking at me, trying to get across, but I've got no room to go. And so I've got a guy fairly close behind me. So if I put the brakes on too, like, too hard, too fast, this guy's going to ram up my you-know-what. So I just have to say, I kind of look at him and go like this as I'm driving. And he looks over and that's when that middle finger came out, that holy finger. And yes, sir, I see it. I acknowledge it, but I can't do much. And so he just put his foot on the gas and bah, 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 straight up ahead and overtook all of us. But, you know, even two years ago, two, just two years ago, globally, there were only 10 flights, international flights that were turned around due to incidences happening on planes. Only 10. Last year, guess how many? 500 flights were turned around due to an incident that would happen on a plane where they had to turn around and go back and land. 500. Guess how many were already up to this year? 350. So we're on target, everyone. To beat that 500, 350 already in this year. And so we are seeing the side effects of stress and anxiety and seeing the side effects in volcanic size proportions, but also the passive side as well. And we're seeing this even with our cost, the cost of living and how much it has gone up. And had this stress that is putting on families. And so it has been very difficult these past couple of years, we can all agree. And so even though you are a follower of Jesus, it doesn't disqualify you from feeling stressed. It doesn't disqualify you from having those anxious moments, those anxious days, those anxious weeks, those anxious months. And so... Nobody experienced greater stress, though, than Jesus. Nobody. Because you see, Jesus was criticised constantly. He was misunderstood. There were constant demands on his life. He had little privacy. He had people trying to kill him. Have you had people try to kill you? Maybe, maybe you have. I haven't. Or actually, I have. I have, actually, one instance in my life. And that was very stressful. Extremely stressful. But Jesus faced this. That is stress. But when we still look at his life, we can see this 
underlying current of peacefulness that just flowed through. The way he was able to deal with people when they were right in his face, demanding answers, demanding responses that didn't line up with their own dispositions. This was Jesus. And so he showed resilience in the face of outrageous, outrageous demands. And so tonight, I want to have a look at resilience. And I want to give you some resilience builders. And so we have been continuing this series on Romans. And I want to have a look at a scripture in Romans that really, I find, gives us such a good window into how to be resilient. So... And when I say resilience, you all know what resilience is, that ability to bounce back. And often people say resilience is the ability to bounce back into your shape. But I believe God actually wants us to go a little bit further when it comes to resilience. Because he doesn't just want us to bounce back into our original shape. He actually, actually wants us to come out of a hardship, a challenge, a trauma, an experience, a circumstance with a depth a deeper understanding of who he is and the grace that he has shown to you. That's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want us just to bounce back to the original, the way we were. He actually wants us, he wants us to then have a stronger stance and understanding of who he is. So the tricky thing, before, just before we do this, in Romans 5 verse 34, actually let's get up on the screen so you can have a look at it, but here's the thing. When two people are given the same problem, Resilience really is the difference between whether they thrive or whether they dive. And you see this even in, when you're playing soccer. When you get, you see some of our professional soccer players and they'll kick, they'll get kicked in the leg and they'll start grabbing their face, rolling around on the ground. And I've seen this happen even in church soccer, thanks to Nathaniel Cavalieri who is one of our good mates, and some of you know him. I've seen him do this in soccer. But then you look at rugby league, and these guys get belted every single tackle, but then do not complain of it. The resilience they have compared to our soccer players is huge. The thrive compared to the dive. Yeah? So let's look at Romans 5, verse 3 to 4, Amplified Version. And not only this, but with joy, let us exult in our sufferings. Wow, I just can't get my head around that first statement. And rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship, distress, pressure, trouble, produces patient endurance, and endurance, proven character, which is spiritual maturity, and proven character, hope, and confident assurance. Now, to see the link between hardships and hope just seems crazy, doesn't it? To see that hardships could actually link towards hope almost seems nonsensical. And in the Christian walk, you'll come across this time and time again. You'll see the word endurance many times in your Bible. But so naturally, tribulation, pressure works impatience in me. It naturally takes a toll on my level, my stress management and my ability to cope, hardships will naturally try to knock me down. And it will often sour into not hope, but hopelessness. A couple of years ago, I was on a trek to Everest Base Camp. And this is a dream that I had had since I was a young teenager. And here I was, though, 
in New Delhi in India and I had to catch a flight to Kathmandu in Nepal to make it on time for the start of the trek. Now, this is prior to COVID, so I wasn't expecting things to go wrong with travel plans. However, when I got to the airport, unfortunately, they wouldn't let me onto my flight because what had happened, there'd been a mix-up with my connecting flight which meant I had to rebook a different flight, which then from the, other, the um, flight agency, they had then cancelled my flight. Now, I know that seems really messy. All I'm saying is that I couldn't get on the flight right there, okay? Now, so what do you do when you do that? Well, you think, okay, let's quickly try and book another flight. I have to get to Nepal in Kathmandu tomorrow. So here I am running around the airport asking other flight agencies, companies, do you have any spare flights? Do you have any spare flights? Do you have any spare flights? Nothing. Couldn't get a thing. So next option, let's get onto the internet. Let's go, uh, let's try and find a flight. There's got to be something flying out today. I get on there, nothing. Not one single ticket left. And the annoying thing in Delhi airport is they gave you only 30 minutes of free Wi-Fi. I had no other Wi-Fi, so in that 30 minutes, I'm scrambling to get myself a ticket. Sure enough, couldn't be done. So my stress level is starting to rise. I then think, okay, my only other option is to actually go to a hotel and try and get a flight for tomorrow. So I do that. I go out, see a taxi driver. He goes, oh, yes, sir. It will only be five minutes. Sure enough, five minutes is 20 minutes in Delhi traffic. So we get to this hotel. I get the front of the hotel and think, this guy has led me down some back street, dodgy place. This does not look like a hotel. Yes, sir, this is the hotel. So I get out and then I see the taxi driver also get out and start walking inside to the hotel. And I was thinking, what's going on here? He goes straight up to the hotel assistant, points at me, okay, the tourist, and goes like this. And I say, ah, oh, this guy is just all about the money. He's just wanting to get a tip for dropping me the tourist at this guy's hotel. Sure enough, money is exchanged. My taxi driver leaves. I then go up to my hotel room. No hot water, no toilet paper. The bed just looks like it's riddled with bed bugs. This thing is a shocker. So my stress level goes up again. I then try to book a flight where the Wi-Fi was quite good actually, surprisingly. <laughs> Couldn't find anything. Finally find a flight for the next day. Finally, I book the flight. I have a little nap. I wake up after my nap. I get an email to say that my ticket was rejected because the flight was overbooked. And so here I am again, stranded in Delhi. Stress level Oh, probably about 9.8 out of 10. Now, I then try to book another ticket. I finally find one for business class, a thousand bucks for the next available flight. I say, stuff it, I'm doing it. I book the ticket. But the only thing is, as I go to pay, the Commonwealth Bank blocked my payment block the payment because they see this suspicious activity going on in Delhi. So they block it. I then try to call them, but my hotel phone's not working. So I guess whose phone I have to use? The hotel manager's who's just been paid off from the taxi driver. So I go down, get the phone off him, 20 minutes on the phone to ComBank. They can't ID me and recognise me because the telephone reception's so bad. It's just getting worse and worse. So they hang up on me. 
I then called them back for the second time, wait another 20 minutes on the phone. Finally, the lady operator, she IDs me and she goes, you've got half an hour, we'll open your account for so you can make the payment. Half an hour, booked the ticket, got the business class ticket and off I was into Nepal. But the reason I go to all that trouble to tell you that story and the reason I completely got ripped off really is that stress was scarring for me. And so anytime someone says Delhi, my ears, my brain just freaks up. It's scarring for me. But that was one moment of stress. You can imagine what compounding stress does to people. People who are continually in environments of stress. And we all understand that if you're in a domestic violence situation, the stress that you put your body in, your mental and physical and psychological um, stress is huge. So if you believe in God, you will still have the same external and internal crisis as those who don't believe in God. And John 16 says this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, be resilient, be courageous. Jesus knew that we were going to have trouble. And so Jesus doesn't promise to take hardships away. He wants you to develop the internal structures and resilience that testifies of his goodness. Let's look at a few quick resilience builders. Number one, use failure. Use failure. Proverbs 24 verse 16 says this, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. You know what's funny with this scripture? We like to focus on the rise again part, but we forget that the man fell seven times. A righteous person falling seven times. And so God actually is expecting you to fall. He actually expects that you will fail. And there's a kind of a dark side of me that actually goes, yes, I'm allowed to fail. I'm allowed to make mistakes. I'm allowed to fall short. That side of me. I'm allowed to because I know that God is expecting me at some stage to do this. Even this past week, I went on ABC radio. And I was interviewed on ABC Radio about the non-for-profit that I've started this year called Schools of Light. But it was a bit of a flop for me. I made a few blunders. I stumbled over words. I didn't lead the direction of the interview where I wanted it to go. I didn't link people to our website or social media after the interview. Instead of saying 250 million children worldwide do not have access to education, I said 250 children worldwide. It was a flop. I failed and I had a pity party after the interview for myself as I then drove to work. It was a flop. But here's the thing. I realised actually that was my first time on radio. And you know what? It can only get better from there. I've learned a lot from my first experience and so God isn't giving, sorry, God isn't going to give you the win. He is going to develop the internal structures in you to win. And so Paul DeYoung says this, failure is a stepping stone to success. 
Failure will be one of the best ways for you to learn. One of the best ways for you to build resilience is learning from your failure. Failing, failure is okay. We will all experience failure. Now, here's the thing. If you let failure though, failure can wipe you out. Failure can cut you short. And you're not defined by your failures or your losses unless you stay there. You watch the great sports people, for example, Michael Jordan, and I loved the series The Last Dance. I was hooked on it, loved it. But Jordan would have these stellar moments, stellar games. However, though, it was how he responded to the losses. It was how he responded to the failures that drove him with his resilience to become great. To him to get to, for him to get to his level... It was amazing watching him in that series, how he responded to the failures. And so here's some wisdom for you. Watch a person and see how they respond after their worst moment, after their failure. Because it's not your best moment that will reveal your character. It will be your response to your worst moment. Okay, let's keep moving. Second thing, spend time alone with God. Spend time alone with God. That is our second resilience builder. Nothing will develop your resilience more than a fresh perspective from God. And it may be the thing you do the least. It may be the thing that you least prioritize, but it is essential for stress, relief, and resilience building. It is the principle of meditation that I've found in my life, meditation in prayer, meditation on reading the word, meditation and um, reciting the word, remembering it. That meditation, I have found cathartic for me and where I've been able to go, God, I unload my burdens. I give you my hardships. I give you my challenges. That has been cathartic. That has been a reliever, knowing that I don't have to carry it. 1 Peter 5, cast all your cares, your worries on him because he cares for you. Mark 1.35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to the solitary place where he prayed. You know, no matter how busy Jesus was, he always just found time to spend with his father. He always found time to pray. And we see it right there in that scripture. So time with God is a spiritual discipline that we all need to build into our lives. It has freshened me up so many times in my life and strengthened my resilience. Pascal says this, most of our problems come from man's inability to sit still. And so can I encourage you to set your mood to the good news. Set your mood to the good news. Okay, let's keep moving. I'm starting to run out of time and I've got a few more, so I'll have to skip a few, sorry. Um, Develop your sense of gratitude. Colossians 2 verse 7 says this, Plant your roots in Christ and let him be the foundation for your life. Be strong in your faith just as you were taught and be grateful. Researchers are calling gratitude the lubricant of your brain. The lubricant of your brain. Who could do with some fresh lubricant in their brain? Do you know what's funny? The other day I said to Lizzie, what did we do last night? She goes, you're kidding me, aren't you? I said, For the life of me, I promise you, girl, I cannot remember what happened last night. And she goes, we had life group. Oh, that's right. That's right. We had life group. 
For some reason, I completely forgot short-term memory loss. Maybe I'm just a bloke and I have that more than other people. But gratitude, okay, is the lubricant for your brain. Now, the Bible says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so when you have a thankful heart, you are actually less prone to stress because it increases your perspective. It's a gratitude that is grounded in hope. It's not just a gratitude that says, oh, wow, thanks, I've got some great food on the table. It goes a step further than that gratitude. It actually takes you into hope. Where God, thank you so much for this incredible food on my table. And I continue to stand in hope that we will always have this food on our table, that we will always be blessed, that the righteous, our family, will never be begging for bread. That's the kind of gratitude and hope that will lubricate your brain. Gratitude, the other amazing thing about gratitude, I love this. Gratitude helps you, instead of seeing problems, it helps you see possibilities. And what could be an opportunity? Wow. No one's doing this. Let's do it. This, everyone's saying, nah, that won't work. Let's give it a go. That's not going to happen. That's not right. Who says? Because no one's ever done it before. So let's try. And so I really believe that not just in our church, but globally, God is going to continue to release people into areas where there's problems in our world. People who can see possibilities people who can see opportunities. And I know that some of you right here are already doing that in your world. Awesome. Let's keep moving. All right, I'm going to skip to my last one. Can I just, I'll just mention one other. The next one I had was know who you are trying to please. I don't have time to go into it, but know who you are trying to please. Last one, humility. The word humility comes from the word humilis, which means soil or earth. And it's the same word from which we get man, Adam, the dust of the earth. And so humility and humanity are actually one and the same. They're linked together, humility and humanity. And so we actually become most humble when we are most human. Do you know that? You are most human when you are humble, when we embrace our humanity. And so we are most human. Oh, sorry, I've already said that. Skip to the next point. Jesus chooses to come down to earth into the body of a man and gave himself in humility as a sacrifice for all of humanity. There is the perfect example. Humility serving humanity. Wow. And they thought he'd failed. Humanity thought he had failed. When he died on that cross, they thought it was lost. But Jesus, we all know what happened. And you cannot bring a humble man or a humble woman down. You know, arrogance will always look for someone else to blame. But humility always looks for something to solve. And so really... True, true humility is grounded in hope. Let me just finish on this. Have you ever seen those movies where the king's sitting down with his guests at the table 
And he might be mid-conversation and he'll swing his arm and knock a drink from his table. And the wine or the water or whatever it is will go everywhere. And he'll look around and go, who put the drink there? Blaming it on someone else. He blames the servant, not himself. It's never the king's fault when that cup is knocked over. You never see the servant go, well, actually, sire, it was you that knocked it over. What do you see the servant do? Well, you see the servant go and get the towel, start wiping up the mess, cleaning away the mess that the king has made. And so, you see, when we are not resilient, we are like the king. When we knock the cup over, we look for someone else to blame. We're very quick to blame when we're not resilient. Well, this is too hard. I can't go on like this. I'm too tired. We look often for someone to blame. And even we can blame God. God, this is, it's too much. But imagine if Jesus had taken on this posture when He was here on earth. Who ruined this world? Look at the mess going on here. Who ruined all of this? Imagine if he, if he did that. But instead of coming to condemn us, He came to free us. He came to forgive us. And so Jesus did not come as the king in that picture. He did not come as that king. He shifts the blame. He fails to show the resilience. He doesn't do that. He comes as the servant with the towel. He came as the servant to to clean up the mess that we made. The mess you made. The mess I've made. He came to clean that up. And that's why He has been given the name that is above any other name. Any other name. That at the name of Jesus, one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will will confess to the name that is above all, the most humble servant of all, Jesus. And I'm really sick of seeing people internally, internally deconstruct their view of Jesus, internally lose hope. Because really, Jesus has cleaned up their mess. Jesus is the one that says, Hey, I know you by name. I've called you to be resilient because I know the goodness that can come from you being resilient. I know the truth and the witness that this bears to the people in your world that don't know Jesus from you taking a stand and being resilient. Even like I said before, straight after our our worship, about having that environment of faith, that is being resilient. That is resilience. That is a picture and a stance of resilience right there. And so I would love you just to close your eyes. Please don't give up hope. Please don't give up hope. Your hardship that you're facing Don't give up. 
don't shift the blame. See it as that stepping stone. See it as that stepping stone. Because some of you might even believing that with Jesus, life wasn't supposed to be hard. I don't know who's telling you that story. Life is hard. Life is challenging. And even when you accept Jesus into your world, it is still hard. But this is what it says in Isaiah 40, verse 29 to 31. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, there's that word, hope, hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So as your eyes are closed, let me ask you this question. Do you have your hope in the Lord? Is your hope in Him? Being faithful is hard. Being heroic is hard. Being courageous is hard. It's tough. But Jesus was willing to endure the cross because the joy set before Him was you was you. He knew he could go through that hardship, that pain and endure because of you. He's ultimate joy. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.